Hallelujah. God is great, isn't he? Makes you want to shout. Amen. Amen. In Jesus name, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. You've already hit a high five with 10 guys. Okay. And uh, thank God that men of God are here this morning uh, during this season that we find ourselves in. Uh, Thank you, Pastor John, for uh, inviting me back and uh, for all of those that are here at Faith Christian Center, as well as uh, the other churches that have joined us. I've always enjoyed coming here. I think the first time I came here was uh, through uh, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole uh, and uh, with the Christian Men's Network. We took the uh, ministry to about 102 different nations and then um, and then it's continued to grow on. Uh, you know, traveling globally put me on every continent on the earth except for Antarctic, teaching men across it. So of the seven continents in the earth have been on six of them, uh, preaching and teaching to men. And we built this ministry with Christian Men's Network around Deuteronomy 16, where it says 1616, that says three times a year, God called all the men to come to Jerusalem. He called them at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of uh, and the Feast of Tabernacles to come and worship the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy 16, 16, he said, these were all male meetings uh, that they would come up and they would worship the Lord. Every man was to come up and he was not to come up empty handed, but he was to bring an offering according to the blessing of the Lord. So it was a free will offering that men brought out of their heart because the Lord had blessed them during that time. So at our church, we continued that tradition. We have a feast. Uh, we have a men's uh, gathering like this on a Saturday morning around Passover time, around Pentecost time. One is early spring. The next one is early summer. And then this week is, of course, you're in the week of uh, uh, tabernacles right now on the Jewish calendar, whether they are Orthodox, Reformed, uh, uh uh, whether they are uh, conservative or whether they are uh, or whether they are revisionist Jews, there are four quadrants of Judaism plus Hasidic Jews. All of them are separ- uh, celebrating uh, tabernacles, a uh, feast of a uh, feast of uh, the Day of Atonement was this past week. And then, of course, uh, tomorrow will be uh, the beginning of Feast of Booze uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow evening, rather, and it'll run all the way through the next week. And so we'll talk some more about that tomorrow uh, in Jesus name. But it's good to have all you men here at this time, because the Feast of Tabernacles time where we say the presence of the Lord is here. But the presence of the Lord is not only in the sanctuary. The presence of the Lord is at your house. Because at the Feast of Booze, you were supposed to go home and build a tabernacle, not only announce that God is at the temple, but God is in your community. Everybody say responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah, you have a responsibility to announce that God's not only in sacred space, but he's in your domestic space. Turn with me to second Timothy chapter four and verse number one. That should be the one that you have. These are called the final charge uh, of a son. That's the one that, yeah, we're going to, huh? Does anybody need this? It's called a final charge to a son. Anybody need that one? Okay. Yeah. Danger of comparison. We're going to do that last. We're going to do this final charge first. Okay. Cause I want sons to have their ears open. Okay. Good. Yeah, I prepared two sets of notes. These just kind of give me a track to run on, okay, so that we make sure I don't wander. Gary, I'll take some. Yeah, we'll do the final charge first, and then we'll do the uh, danger of comparison second, because I think I need to send you out the door with that one. All right. Okay, everybody there? Second Timothy, chapter four. 
All right. Thanks, Ray. Good. Then there's still some men way over on the other side. All right. Great. I guess when you see a final charge, some people thought that that would be the last message, but I'm going to speak the final charge first, okay? I want to make sure everybody's on the same page as we start. Great. Has everyone been served? Okay, way in the back, okay? Got, got some young legs running back there. Good. All right. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for all the privileges of being in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. And it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And uh, I just pray that you'll let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Because you, O Lord, are strength and our redeemer. I pray that you'll breathe on our time today. Change us so that we can go home and change our family. We can go home and change our communities. We can go home and change our state. We can go home and change our nation. And we can go home and change the world. We give you thanksgiving for it now in Jesus name. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Second Timothy chapter four and verse number one. We'll begin there. As we begin this particular text, uh, these are the final words of an apostle. His name is Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Saul was first king of Israel and Saul is his Hebrew name, but Saul was also brought up in a, as a Roman citizen in a Hellenistic society. So Paul is his Hellenistic name. Paul. It's not two different people. One man, one name is Hebraic and one is Hellenistic. This man, Paul, is converted in Acts chapter 9. He's a Hebrew. He's a Pharisee. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. And he calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew and I speak Hebrew. Here, Paul has now uh, been converted in Acts chapter 9 with an amazing demonstrative conversion. He's been persecuting the church. He's an eyewitness at the first martyr of the church. The first martyr of the church was not uh, an apostle, but the first martyr of the church was a deacon. His name was Stephen. Any deacons in here? Okay, no deacons want to get killed. Okay, I got one deacon back here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, because the first one that died was Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And he died for preaching a gospel that was far-reaching, and he was stoned to death. When he stoned, the men that were stoning him take off their robes and lay them at the feet of the apostle Paul. He's watching because they want to make sure that when they throw those rocks, they don't have nothing hindering them. So they take off their robes and they lay their robes at his feet. Paul then sets off the persecuted church. They considered the church a Jewish sect, but they consider it a Jewish cult. That you're trying to bring people out of Judaism and bring them into this new thing called the way. And so he starts persecuting. God stops him in Acts chapter 9, converts him. Paul starts preaching immediately. Young preachers are dangerous. He starts preaching such a radical gospel that he starts riots, persecution, And finally, a little man named Barnabas comes and gets him, carries him away to a church in Antioch in Syria. And there he is discipled. Acts chapter 13, Paul then 
is uh, released from the from that uh, church with his friend Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, and they start on a missionary journey. Along three missionary journeys, they established a church that is at Ephesus. But on their first missionary journey, they begin to take some men along with them. John Mark goes with them along with Barnabas. And then one time, Timothy then begins to join them on a missionary journey. Timothy then becomes a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also he is mentored by Paul. Paul writes Timothy two letters. When Paul can't stay in Ephesus any longer, he establishes church historians, tell us, Timothy as the leader of the church in Ephesus. So there's a leadership transition. And then Paul notices what's going on in Ephesus, and he finds out Timothy is starting to back off because he's young. The first letter he writes to Timothy is a letter of encouragement and also a rebuke to tell him, don't you let anybody despise your youth. Be an example to the believer in speech and conduct and faith and impurity. He then tells him, you know, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And then he tells him how he can appoint leaders in the church. He writes back a second letter to Timothy. And now Paul knows the time of his departure is at hand. And that's where we're going to lead. And what happens when you and I are in a church and in churches where there's the grain of one leader and the transition of another leader? There's what's called the grain of the ministry in the United States. A lot of your Southern Baptist churches, which is the largest expression of uh, Christianity, evangelical uh, Baptists, uh, are, are grain now. Average pastor, 67 years old, and they are wondering what they're going to do, you know, to replace all of these men. There's a grain of the ministry. Now, the ministry can get old and gray and die, or you can replace it with new leaders. But new leaders have to be disciples and they need to be trained. It's not only true with Southern Baptist, but Assembly of God, a church of God in Christ. It's also true uh, with uh, with your a lot of your Pentecostal denominations. And it's also true with a lot of your liturgical churches. There's a grain of the clergy. There's a time for transition. Now, transition is not bad because we've seen transition throughout the Bible. Moses with Joshua, Elijah with Elisha. Jesus with his disciples. And now Paul's getting ready to transition to Timothy. Last words in the Bible are fascinating. Have you ever read last words of some of your patriarchs in the Bible? Read the last words of Moses. It's a whole book called Deuteronomy. His final words where he retells the law, the second telling of the law. It's a wonderful read where he doesn't tell you a lot of new information, but it's a wonderful read. Read the last words of Hezekiah. He's getting ready to die. A prophet is coming. Elijah said, set your house in order. You're going to die and not live. His last words are, God, don't kill me yet. He said, don't let me die. And he turns his face and God said, okay, I'm giving you seven more years. And he does. Have you ever read the last words of people? Uh, Read the last words of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Read the last words of Stephen that I just mentioned. After he's being, as he is being stoned, he says, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Last words. Paul's now giving these last words to his son, Timothy. These are also final words that you might want to think about with men that you're discipling. Men that you are mentoring. Sometimes God gives us somebody to mentor and to disciple. We say, well, what should I say to him? Why don't you give him the Bible? There's some good stuff in the Bible. 
And, and, and here Paul says, listen, these are some of the things you're hearing. What is Timothy dealing with now in his ministerial journey? Well, the church is now dealing with persecution from without and false doctrine within. Would you look at the man next to you and say, we are experiencing that now. Uh, say it with your outdoor voice. Tell them we're experiencing that now. Yeah, <laughs> we're having persecution from without and false doctrine that's within. Some of the stuff I hear people preaching today makes me scratch my head. It's just crazy. It's not even false doctrine. It's just crazy. <laughs> and so we have and Paul comes to tell Timothy, man, listen, that's what you're warring against. But here's what you need to do. You need to hold to some things. Second Timothy chapter four, verse number one, then having set that context, it says, I charge you. Therefore, Paul's getting ready to leave before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, King James, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap up to themselves teachers. Having itching ears, itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and turn to fables. But watch thou in all things and endure affliction. Do the work of the evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. For I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Listen to Paul. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. He says, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me at that day and not only and not to me only, but also to all of them that love his appearing. The word of the Lord. As we listen to this particular text, Paul gives Timothy some final words. Uh, these are parting words. And then he gives me some closing words and they are very power packed and they are insightful and instructional. I'd like to review those words to you so that you can put them in remembrance so that you might walk in them as men, but also convey those to your spiritual sons, your natural sons and the men that God draws around you. First of all, he says to Timothy, he says, listen, he says, I want you to remember that you are supposed to please the one that enlisted you. There's a lot of people today that are called men pleasers. And they do things just to please men. I want you to know that you and I, our aim should be to please the one that enlisted us. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Point number one, please the one who enlisted you. You will be evaluated uh, uh, by your mentor, uh, you know, regularly at the end. And listen, God has mentored us. He has called us and we will be evaluated at the end. And he tells him, listen, I want you to charge you before the Lord 
the righteous judge uh, who will judge the quick, those that are living and the dead at his appearing. You and I are going to be evaluated at the end. And I want you to know that your master will evaluate you and I ultimately and eternally. And we are to be charged that evaluation day is coming. The end is coming. So please him who's going to evaluate us at the end. In our city, I would imagine Columbus, Ohio is 1.2 million people. And listen to me, in my city, there might be about a thousand people to run around and they are members of the church. But every time you want to make an adjustment in their life based on evaluation, they will say, don't judge me. I don't know if that's up here in New England. I live in the Midwest. You cannot have a church without judgment because the word judge means to evaluate. One of the combination of the prophets on the priests and on the people in the Hebrew scriptures was simply this. You have made a distinction between the holy and the unholy, between the profane, between the profane and the defiled. When Israel did not make a distinction, God came in and judged him. And you and I ought to be able to evaluate what's right and what's wrong. And let me make this announcement in 2023. Right is still right and wrong is still wrong. And as men, we are called to be standard bearers and we are called to hold to the truth. And my responsibility is not to please political correctness. Our responsibility as men is not to please the government. Our responsibility as men is not to please the general public. Our responsibility is to understand I'm going to stand before God who's going to evaluate me at the end. And I need to make sure I'm pleasing to him. We need to prepare ourselves to please the one that enlisted us. He enlisted us into this army. He called us to be in this army and he called us and he wants us to know evaluation is coming. And I charge you to stand firm because he's going to judge both those that are living and the dead. You say, well, how does he judge us when we're living? There's not only judgment at the end, but every time we come to the communion table, doesn't the Bible say if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. I believe that judging ourselves is not just an individual judgment. But we as a body, we ought to judge ourselves. If we as a body judge ourselves, then the world won't have any ground to judge us. And if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. See, first Peter says this. He says judgment always begins at the house of the Lord. If it begins with us, what shall the sinner and the unrighteous do? Listen, message Bible puts it like this. Hey, Christians, judgment day is here. You're first in line. (laughs) Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. When the church stops judging and evaluating itself, then the world starts judging us. And the world is judging us with a failing report card. They don't want to be a part of us because we're saying we need to clean up racism. And yet the world looks at us and say, but y'all are separated and racist in your own church. The world is saying, hey, man, we need somebody to uh, take care of poverty. And, and the church isn't doing that. And so they judge us for not taking care of people that are poor. The vulnerable quartet that go all the way through the Old Testament. The quartet of the vulnerable widows, orphans, the immigrant and the poor. The vulnerable quartet, the quartet of the vulnerable is all the way through the Hebrew scriptures that we are supposed to have some care and some compassion for. 
And friends, the world looks at us and say, this is what your Bible says. I went to a, a, a seminar at a public university that was called Care for Creation. They invited clergy in and they invited us in because they were dealing with environmental issues. And one of the clergy said, well, since you guys are scientists and zoologists and, and uh, environmentalists, why did you invite the church? Because one of the guys stood up. He said, I don't believe a lot of what you have in your Bible. He said, but I read the first book of your Bible and the first book of your Bible says your first commandment was to care for the earth. And they say, we find it surprising that the church is silent on this issue. If we judge ourselves. We'll not be judged. Look at your man next to you. Tell him, read your Bible. Because the world sometimes reads our Bible and said, but y'all ain't doing this. So now you're going to come out here and tell us what we ought to do. If we judge ourselves, we'll not be judging. God judges both the alive quick and the dead. Quick doesn't mean fast. It means you're alive. Old English word. He says, so I want you to prepare yourself because evaluation is coming. So please the one that enlisted you. Listen, you will be evaluated by your mentor regularly. That's by Jesus. And listen to this. This is a charge. Evaluation is coming. And then the end. Next of all, he tells them final word, proclaim the truth. Friends, there is pressure right now not to proclaim truth, but to be socially acceptable. Listen, proclaim the truth. Truth is what it is because God says it is. And if God says in the beginning, he made them male and female, that's what he is. Okay, I only heard a few amens. I said, God said in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image after in the image of God created in him, male and female created he them. And if God says he created male and female, that's what is. In the beginning. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. Jesus said when he was asked at marriage, Matthew 9, chapter 19, can a man put away his wife for any reason? Jesus said, Matthew chapter 19, have you not read? Look at your man next to you and just tell him, start reading. He said, have you not read in the beginning? He made them male and female, Matthew chapter 19. And that's in red in your red letter Bibles. Truth is what is because God said it is. And in the beginning, he made them male and female. Now, the world has now in the United States, I told Pastor John, has now in the United States designated 27 different sexual categories. <laughs> now, you got to have a great imagination. 27. That's what I said. Pastor John said that's more than the alphabet. OK, <laughs> listen, 27 different sexual categories for some of you who are Googling right now. <laughs> Cause I know I get fact checked all the time. I see you. I see you. Okay. Get fact checked. Okay. There are, but truth is what is because God says it is. And friends, we need to get back to just standing for the truth. And when people say, well, are you against them? And do you hate them? I say, no, I just stand with God. I said, I just stand with God and proclaim the truth. Truth is what it is because God says it is. Truth is that which is consistent with the knowledge, character, 
attributes, nature and glory of God. That comes from John MacArthur. Truth is that which is consistent with the knowledge, character, attributes, nature and glory of God. That's truth. Truth is facts once stated never have to be changed, altered and revised. Truth is facts once stated never have to be changed, altered and revised. I have some people from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society that used to come knocking on my door before COVID. The Watchtower Bible and Tract Society closed all that down during COVID. But a few weeks ago, they said, we'll be back on your doors. They've started a letter writing campaign asking people to come to their homes for Bible study. They're handwritten letters. If you get one to your home, inviting you to come to a Bible study to discuss some Bible truths. Usually at the bottom is identified by J.W. Jehovah Witness. So if you get one of those handwritten letters, that's who it's from, from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. They stopped coming to my house because they told me, but we just want to come in and discuss the truth. I said, do you have the truth? And they said, yeah. I said, then why have you changed your doctrine so much? When people from the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints come to my house, I say to them the same thing because they used to teach that a black person couldn't get into their heaven. Mormons, we call them. Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And when I see people singing in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir that are black, I say, now I know that my people are slow sometimes. (laughs) But I don't know how I could be worshiping with some people to say I can't even go to their heaven. got to be pretty slow to do that. Truth is facts once stated, never have to be changed, altered, or revised. Is this being recorded? Is this being recorded? Oh, they said yes. Okay, good, good. I wasn't going to give you a disclaimer. I'm glad because I ain't scared of nobody, okay? (laughs) I ain't scared of none of them. All right, and you got my back? Okay, got you, brother. Thank you. Okay, you got me? All right, good. And so, listen, so they stopped coming because I found out that on their mapping areas, when they find there's a problem in a community, they avoid that house. And I don't argue with them. I just stand for truth. I had some people from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society come to my house one time, and they told me that we are Jehovah's Witness. I said, really? I said, well, Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world. I said, those first Jehovah's Witnesses, they spoke in tongues when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, do you speak in tongues? Well, now, brother, we got to really talk about that. I said, well, I speak in tongues. You're not Jehovah's Witness. I'm Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) So I got the mark on the calendar on that one again. No, stand for truth. We don't have to argue from any kind of other ideology, just stand for truth. He tell me, preach the truth. Why? Because we are living in this day right now that the day is going to come where they will not hold to the truth because truth is a person and the person has a name and his name is Jesus. That's his name, Jesus. Now, one of my friends has started, he took a Hebrew class. He said, well, Lafayette, you know, his name is really Yahshua. I said, listen to me, my friend. I said, the people I talk to speak English. And I said, all of us know that there are many names in many different languages and they can be the same name. I said, the folk that I uh, speak to, the majority speak English and some of them don't even speak English real well. 
I said, I don't speak Hebrew. I don't write Hebrew. I read Hebrew commentaries. I said, I understand his name is Yahshua in the Hebrew, but I said, I'll talk to English speaking folks. We say Jesus. And I said, and then it's too late for me to tell me not to say Jesus. I said, cause when I command a demon to come out of somebody in the name of Jesus, it comes. When I lay hands on people that are sick in the name of Jesus, they get healed. I said, when I ask people to come and be saved and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I've seen God transform lives. Look at your neighbor saying, it's too late for me too. Yeah, yeah. So don't forget the name. And don't get into these petty arguments on what the name is. Because when I was in my insanity of sin, I didn't call on Allah, Buddha, or Yahshua. I called on Jesus. And he came in and the man you see standing before you today is not the man that I was before I called on his name. Truth is a person. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. He now he says, preach the word. And he says, because they will not hold the sound doctrine we're living in that day to day. But they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They just want to hear something new, something new, something new, something new. Turn away the fables, just made up fantasy, Hollywood. Some people are forming their theology out of Hollywood now. And listen to this, but watch thou for in all things, endure afflictions and do the work of the evangelists. Make full proof of your ministry. Next thing he tells us, not only proclaim the truth, but prove you are a minister. Now, don't just think ministers are people that preach from a platform. A ministry, prove you are a minister. It's someone that just serves God's food to people. A minister is someone that is a servant of God. And it says, make full proof of your ministry. Making full proof. There is a, make sure that there's significant evidence and behavior and actions which confirm that you're a minister minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of God. Don't be afraid of that word minister because in many nations in our, in our country, we have like a secretary of finance, a secretary of education, a secretary of defense, but in other nations, they're called a minister of finance, a minister of education, a minister of defense. And friends, a minister is someone who is just a public servant that serves in this uh, direction. You are a servant of God as a man of God. Make full proof of your ministry. Do the work of the advances because lost people matter to God and work at soul winning because we have people in our community that need to be saved. I am not an evangelist by calling, but I am an evangelist by work. I do the work of the advances and doing the work of the advances means that you and I, when we engage people, eventually the conversation comes around to Jesus and we invite people to participate in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do the work of the advances. Have conversation with people. Build relationship with people. And all of us to the goal to help evangelize people because lost people matter to God. People get lost for various reasons. And they get lost because of curiosity. They get lost because of carelessness. Some people get lost by choice. Some people get lost because they're compliant, trying to obey all the Ten Commandments and the rules of the regulation. But they're not connected to the Lord's heart, which is a law of love. I don't follow God because... I have all these do's and don'ts and law. I follow God because he loved me. And now I owe it to him to love him back. Do the work of the evangelist. 
when you and I do the work in advance, we're finding out people are waiting there to hear the good news. Because in our communities, there are people that are evangelized. They have heard the message of Jesus Christ, but have not yet accepted. There are people that are unevangelized. They may have heard the name Jesus, but never have heard the story that's associated with the name of Jesus. And then there's simply unreached people. There are people in our world who've never heard the name Jesus. So whether someone is unreached, uh, unevangelized, or evangelized, if they have not come into the fold, they are still in need of salvation. Do the work of the evangelist. Lost people matter to God. And no matter what we do to do the work of the evangelist, make sure that we make full proof of our ministry. Make sure that there's proof and evidence out there that if you went to court, they could convict you of being a Christian. Is there enough evidence out there on you? That would convict you if we had a trial of being a Christian. Make full proof of your ministry. Do it with your lifestyle. Do it with your language. Do it with your actions. Do it with your behavior. Do it by the way that your household runs. In the small house we raised our kids in. Man, I'll tell you what. We lived on a block and we had people that were church, people that were unchurched, people that were part of cults. But I'll tell you what, when something happened in the community, no matter where they were on the spectrum, a lady died. Her family didn't even go to church. And she sent her, uh, her husband, sent her grandson down and said, my wife just died. Reverend Scales, could you come down and pray for my family? Didn't even go to church anywhere. But he knew there was a light in that, in that neighborhood. Some people from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society uh, found out that one of my neighbors across the street, Mr. Crockett, his wife was Jehovah's Witness. He was not. He didn't go anywhere. And they, they came to his house, his, his wife's sisters, and they, and they started talking about me living across the street. You got that preacher living across the street. And they started running me down. And he came out there as a man in his house. He said, y'all stop that right now. He says, Scales is across the street from me. His kids have come over and shovel my driveway in the wintertime. He said, he's come over and cut my grass. He said, that's a good man, and y'all ain't going to run him down in my house. And they all backed off. Amen. This man didn't go to church. His wife's a whole Jehovah Witness. But there's proof of my lifestyle. Amen. And the way we have full proof of the ministry, friends, is with your life and then with your language. Are you hearing me? And so he tells him, man, live this thing out. Live it out. And then have some language to back it up. So we are to please the one that enlisted us. That's what he tells his son. He tells his son, he says, proclaim the truth. He says, make full proof of your ministry. Now listen to this. Prepare for your departure. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to leave here one day. Okay, some of you are whispering. Don't be afraid of that. Use your outdoor voice. Tell them you're going to leave here one day. Two ways people leave. Some people leave by way of the grave. They die. And when Jesus comes, they rise first and their mortal puts on immortality. Their corruption puts on incorruption. And then we're all cut up together to meet him in the air. Some people go by way of the grave. Some people are just alive when he comes. And if you if you are alive and listen to this and remain. Because some people are alive, then they quit along the way. Some people are alive and they get distracted and go off on another path. But those who are alive and remain shall be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. 
What a day that'll be. I paid all the insurance premiums for my grave preparation and my family's endurance, and I won't even be able to cash in on my insurance. <laughs> paid all those premiums for not because in a moment, my mortal's going to put on immortality. My corruption is going to put on incorruption. And we'll all be both those who have died and those who are living caught up to meet him in the air. Prepare for your departure. Now, as men also prepare for your departure in the natural. Make sure your family is taken care of if you precede everybody in death. Okay, some of y'all looking at me funny. I need you to push a man next to you. Say, wake up now. Don't miss this. (laughs) You should not have to rely on GoFundMe to bury you. Prepare for your departure. Do some estate planning. Do some economic planning to make sure that your family is provided for in your absence. When they leave your funeral, they shouldn't be talking about how broke you left them. There's a story of a prophet whose widow comes to a senior prophet and said, my husband was one of your sons in the prophecy. And, they, and they, she said, and he died and he owed all kind of debt. And he didn't leave no money to pay the debt. Now, my sons are in danger of going into indentured servanthood to pay off his debt. She didn't talk about how much her husband loved her. She talked about how he left her. Okay, y'all getting quiet. I know how to press in on quiet um, audiences. She talked about how he left her. Broke, busted, and disgusted. And the prophet said, well, what do you have in your house? She said, I got little oil and a bunch of jars. He said, go borrow a whole bunch of jars. She went and borrowed a whole bunch of jars. He said, now get in your house with your sons. He said, lock the door and take one jar and start pouring. And she started pouring. Look at your neighbor say, there's a miracle in your house. And she started pouring that oil in her house and filled up every jar. And when she got down to the last one, she says, there yet not another jar. And they said, no, that's all. And when the last jar was full, the oil was stayed. God will not bless you one ounce beyond your preparation. When her preparation was full, the blessing stopped. And then he said, go sell some of the oil and pay off your debt. Wow. And then use the rest to sustain your family. The prophet did for this junior prophet's family what that junior prophet should have been doing for his family. Prepare for your departure. Okay. I think you're going to have to do an estate planning class because these guys are hostile this morning on this point. Okay. All right. So, so just get some of your financiers and work this thing out. Okay, because we should not leave our families broke, busted, and disgusted. When your family leaves the cemetery, after they done cried and fainted and fell out, they ought to close that door to the family car and say, how much did dad leave? How much did he leave us? How well are we going to be taken care of? Prepare for your departure. Look at your neighbor and say, he can move on now. Okay. Okay. Y'all ready? Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. Prepare for your departure. Next of all, persevere in the fight. Need to tell this to ourselves. We're in a fight, uh, men of God, and we need to persevere in the fight. We need to have the fight, the focus and the faith. 
I fought a good fight, focused. I finished my course, faith. I've kept the faith. Stay consistent and faithful to the one that called you, your mentor and your master, Jesus Christ. And friends, I believe that you and I know that we're in a fight spiritually. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, mights and dominions, spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need to persevere. Perseverance means that you and I have a stick to that we just don't quit. Persevere. Work your way through the fight. Some of us in our lives, we're in our fourth quarter. It's time to turn it on. One of the athletes that attends our church periodically is Lawrence Funderburg, uh, Ohio State University graduate, NBA player. And Lawrence, when he was in the NBA, invited me to dinner. He and his wife were going to renew their wedding vows. They, he graduated from, uh, from Ohio State University, got drafted into the NBA, married his, uh, his uh, college sweetheart. They got married and then took off for the NBA. Didn't have a formal marriage. Five years into the marriage, he wanted to come back and have a public wedding and invited me to do it. Invited me to his house and the night he invited Teresa and I there with he and Manya. Uh, he had a caterer come in to cater our dinner. And so I asked him, I said, do you, do you have all your meals catered? He said, well, I'm in the NBA and I make a lot of money. And he said, I have to have my food catered. He said, it's not just part of the shtick. He said, it's what I need. He said, because I need to put the stuff in my body. So when I get down to the final minutes of the fourth quarter, I can operate just like I did the first minute of the first quarter. He said, I cannot afford to run out of gas. I cannot afford to be died. So he said, I got to put the right kind of stuff in my body. And he said, and these professional caters help me to do that. Some of y'all are in the fourth quarter of your life. Make sure you got the right stuff in you so that you can last. Don't whip out. Don't quit. Don't lose gas. Don't lose your endurance. Persevere unto the end. And Paul said, man, I fought a good fight. He said, I finished my course and I've kept the faith. Persevere to the end. And then I want you to press towards a prize because in verse number eight, he says, listen, there's henceforth laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but for all of those that love my, uh, his appearing. Uh, listen to me. Uh, I want you to press towards a prize and I want you to see the goal in mind. Strive for mastery like a good athlete run until the end. Run lawfully for the prize. And in that day, they had the Hellenistic games that went on. And they knew that people had this garland that was put on their head. And I'm sure Paul is making spiritual application to natural things. Don't get disqualified because you could be a super athlete. But if you do something wrong on the field, you could be disqualified. I used to watch the Olympics and I was always interested in watching the four by four uh, relay and also sometimes the 400 relay and friends sometimes America would have the fastest athletes in both the women's team and the men's team but listen on those relays it wasn't that we didn't have the speed it was that we got disqualified because we made the exchange outside of the lane we made the exchange and dropped the baton and you just can't do that run lawfully when I played offensive tackle in high school, uh, I remember one time I was playing offensive tackle and I went down to make a crossing block and this, and this defensive back came up, grabbed me by my face mask and punched me in my eye. That was before they had those face shields. I came back to the huddle. My eye was just running with all this water. I said, what's wrong with you? I said, man, that dude punched me in my eye. 
And one of the guys said, what you going to do? I said, watch. <laughs> I lined up in that D tackle place. I wasn't supposed to pull, but I spotted and found out where he was. And when he came across to check our end, our end moved. I blindsided. He came across. I, bam! Hit that dude, laid him out. He landed on the field like this. They threw the flag, illegal lineman downfield. My coach put me out. Scales, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be there. I said, that dude hit me in my eye. He said, you can't do that. I did an illegal play. Got disqualified for a minute. Then they sent me back in. That was before they, they threw you out the game. The coaches pulled you out and chewed you out and said, don't do that no more, man. I said, dude, hit me in my eye, coach. He said, he said, but you can't do that. That's illegal. That's not the way you play this game. It's the way I play the game. <laughs> Listen, it all oh, come on. See, I got a Bible reader. He said, an eye for an eye. Run lawfully, man, is what I'm telling you. You got to run lawfully in this race. Don't cheat. Don't drop the baton. When you're getting ready to make the exchange, run lawfully. Finally, provide uh, a, a, a departing model. Paul talked about, man, I'll model some things for you. Because Paul, in verse number 13, I skipped down now. And, and he says, listen, he says, the cloak that I left in Troas. He said, with carpus, he says, when you come, bring them. And then he says, and the books, and especially my part, my parchments. Here's a party model for those of you who are mentoring men. Listen, he said, the books that I left, bring them. But the first thing that he says, man, bring my cloak. Paul is saying, I'm an old apostle. He said, but I still need a covering. I started preaching in 1973. I've been preaching for 49 years of my life. I preached for nine years in the Baptist church. I was associate minister in and I've been pastoring Rama Christian Center for 40 years, 49 years of preaching. 49 years and being 71 years old, you could think that I was independent, but I still need my covering. I have elders and a board that covers me at Rama Christian Center. I work with a company of apostles and prophets that cover me through the network of local churches. I was consecrated a bishop in the Lord's church by 600 African-American Pentecostal bishops through the Joint College of African-American Pentecostal bishops. I have covering there. I'm still, a, I'm getting up in age, but I still need covering. Men don't come from under your covering because your covering is your protection so that when you get in trouble, somebody to catch some of that flack and catch some of that dirt for you and to make sure that you're still covered. He said, I still need cover. He said, bring me my books. He said, even though I'm an old apostle, I still got some stuff I need to learn. Men, don't ever stop learning. Don't ever stop reading. I let your sons and daughters see you with a book every now and then. Don't let them just see you reading your phone. Pick up a book every now and then and let them see you reading a book. Sometimes my grandkids come over and say, Papa, what you reading? Sit down here. Let me tell you what I'm reading. He said, I still got some stuff to learn. He said, I still need covering. I still bring me my books. I still have some stuff to learn. And then finally, bring me my parchments. I still have some stuff to write. Some of you have books inside of you that you need to get out of you. I don't care how insignificant you are. Some of you got a story that somebody needs to hear. It would be good for you to write and chronicle your story. 
Write and chronicle your testimony. It might be for your grandkids to hear that. Yeah, you're going to hear some bad stuff about your dad, but he didn't stay bad all of his life. He met Jesus and got turned around. You might have some numbers behind your name from prison. Don't let that be the end of your story. Write your story and say prison wasn't the end. Jesus found me in prison and he brought me out of prison. And now I stand in this place. You might have in your resume, I was a drug dealer or a drunk. But now you're not a drug dealer or a drunk. Because Jesus found you. And you need to write your story down for your sons, for your daughters, for your grandchildren, for your neighbors. Write it down. You might not have a book. It may be a manual, but it's your manual. It's your testimony. And write it down. Bring me my cloak. Bring me my books. Bring me my parchments. I close with this closing thoughts, the verses that I skipped. Because Paul then does an assessment of the people that are around him. And the verses that I skipped were verses 9 through uh, 13. So I'll just speak this in narrative. I'll speak this 9 through 12. Paul then does an assessment on his relationship. He says, Demas is gone. Look at your neighbor and say, some have left. Listen, COVID has been brutal on churches because some people left during COVID. I had a lady in my church come up and say, during COVID, when we had back the in-person, she said, Pastor, I really feel led to go to another church. And my state churches were closed down during COVID. I said, you're going to go to another church? Ain't no churches open. I said, that's a devil. I said, you ain't going nowhere. I said, oh, ain't nothing open. Look at your neighbor say, Demas is left. Stop crying over people who have left. That's all he says. Demas has left. Now I'm one of those people that let people into my life slow and hold on to them a lot longer than is healthy. I'm like Samuel. I can be crying over Saul even when God is finished with that chapter. And God had to come to Saul, Samuel and say, how long are you going to cry over Saul? Because I'm done with that. Fill your horn with some oil and get down to Jesse's house. There's a new king down there. Demas is gone. So some have left. Now look at your neighbor saying, but Luke is here. Yeah, some are still here. Okay. That's what he said. Some are still, some are gone, but some are still here. And the anointing on this ministry and on your ministry is for those that are here, not those that are gone. So the anointing that is here and that is coming is for those that are here, not those that are gone. Luke is here. Then he says to Timothy, when you come bring John Mark, look at your neighbor and say, Timothy and John Mark are coming. Now, 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 let's put together the trilogy. Say, Demas is gone. gone. Luke is here. here. But Timothy and John Mark are coming. Yeah, some folk are coming. And you're still crying over those folks that are gone. And God said, but I got some other folks that are coming. And the anointing here is for those that are here and for those that are coming. And then finally he said, and now he said, I've sent some away. Look at your neighbor and say, some have been sent. Now in the Baptist church, we say some were sent and some just went. (laughs) 
Okay, I think that's a little African proverb, okay? They just <laughs> left without authorization, okay? Left without authorization, just went and started their own thing, okay? And friends, here's what I want you to know. There are some that are actually authorized to go and have hands laid on them. I want you to understand that some have gone. I'm a realist, that's true. But Luke is here. John Mark and Timothy are coming. These are sons that need you to pour into their lives. And then we're going to lay our hands on some and we're going to send them away. Are y'all ready? I want to pray for us. Now I think we're going to take a short break. And then we're going to come back and do this last session here. Y'all ready? Father, we're mentoring and discipling young men in our family, daughters in our family, our wives, our neighbors, and our coworkers. Father, I've given some guidelines and some charges from a father to a son in the natural and in the spirit. Father, I pray that you'll stir up in every man in here that he is to please the one that enlisted him, that he's to proclaim truth, that he's to make full proof of his ministry. He's to prepare for his departure. He's to persevere in the faith. He is to press towards a prize. He is to provide a departing model that he needs a covering. He needs to write and he needs to learn. And finally, Father, that we will recognize the fact that some have left, but there are some that are here and there are some that are coming. And the anointing that's on every one of the houses represented here and every one of the churches that are represented here are for those that are here and for those that are coming right now. Forgive us for mourning over Saul when you're done with that. And now prepare us to minister to that, to those that are here and those that are coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. We're going to take a break. I'm going to take three minutes to get takeaways. Now, what's a takeaway? A takeaway is something that you heard that says that was meaningful to me. If you have a takeaway, right, stay. Okay, come on on the front row. Then stand on up, brother. There, stand up. You're going to give your takeaway. What's your takeaway? There's, there's many, but the last part we talked about those that have left. Uh-huh. When I talked to people in my church, I said, we need to pray God will bring back those that belong here. But we've got to bring in. More, More people. people. We got to get the ones that are coming. Okay, got it. Go ahead, sir. Uh, to prove yourself. Prove yourself. When yes. You die, that uh, you know what? What is your legacy that you left? Amen. Is, you know, is, was he a Christian or was he just? Okay, what's your legacy? Prove yourself. Evidence. Amen. What's What's your takeaway? <laughs> All right, that resonated. Okay, good. Anybody else? Takeaways? Yes, sir. Here, front row. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's a good one. I saw a hand right here, sir. Yes, sir. Prepare for your departure. Prepare for your departure. That's I hear a lot of people calling me on telephone asking me to buy death insurance. Uh huh. <laughs> Prepare for your right here, sir. Finish the good race. Finish the good race. That's a good takeaway. Over here. God will not bless you one ounce beyond your preparation. Oh, watch out. God will not bless you one ounce beyond your preparation. Last one, right here, sir. Write your story down. Write your story down. Those are some good takeaways. 
Uh, who's going to close out this section or you want me to just give them? Okay, let's take five minutes. Come back at 10 after 11. We'll kick off our next session, okay? 10 after 11. All right, we're going to take five. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think we can do that. That only gives you about five minutes, okay? So whatever you have to do, do it quickly.